Hello, my name is Joe Martin. I'm the pastor at First Baptist Church in Toledo, Washington, not far from Mount St. Helens. Most of you know that this is a time of year where we're getting ready to do camps and head out to the mountains for a few weeks, and so that may affect the schedule of these cabin talks. I may even be able to get one, one, um, one talk sent from way up in the mountains to you. You know, I want to talk to you in the next narrative in Luke chapter 9. And I want to talk about life in the valley because that's really where we spend most of our time. We have those moments of being on the mountaintop where we really get to see Jesus in a fresh and new way and learn to keep our focus on him. But we live in a world that has got struggles. And we live in the world, but we're not supposed to handle things like the world. And so this brings us that when we are coming down the mountain into reality, or, or at least the, the diff, more difficult parts of reality, um, we come down almost always into crisis. There has always been a crisis of evil in the world. You know, people are always saying things like the world's getting so bad and the world is getting darker. And well, it just depends on your perspective. I used to talk to my friend Max Asher and Max would say people, he, people would talk about how things are getting so bad. And he said, they're not as bad as the way I grew up. <laughs> There's always been a crisis of evil in the world. And there has always been more needy people in the world right around the corner than people expect. Our people are prepared to meet their expectations. Luke 9, uh, 37, it says, On the next day, when they came down from the mountain, when we come down from those experiences, a large crowd met them. There's always more people. And the man from the crowd shouted, saying, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son. For he is my only boy. This man was desperate. And we see that in this, there is this conflict. And that brings me to another reality. There has always been spiritual conflict in the world. Now, there's all kinds of conflict, but there's always been spiritual conflict. Ever since sin infected creation, ever since sin entered into the heart of human beings, and you are in a real spiritual conflict, whether you realize it or not. This is always the devil's strategy. First of all, to deceive you so you don't see it. But one, even whether you see it or not, the devil's strategy is to divide us in ourselves and from each other and ultimately destroy us. To turn you on yourself or turn you on others. It's a, it, the reason he uses that strategy is because it works. I mean, Jesus taught in John eight forty four. he says, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. You know, when you lie, you're never more like the devil than that. And then he says, whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, <coughs> whew, a little dusty out here. Whenever, um, whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. 
for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. You see, when lying or exaggeration or embellishment happens, we are on his agenda. We are being of that plan. Demonic power is real, and sometimes it'll manifest itself along with, along with, or along or with spiritual, with physical symptoms in the body. It's not. It's not always the same. It's not always, but sometimes it is. And the father cries out and says, and the spirit seizes him and suddenly screams and it throws him into a convulsion with foaming at the mouth and only with difficulty does it leave him, mauling him as it leaves. Now, of course, there's always the question here, was this a physical problem? Yes, it most certainly probably was. Could it have been like some kind of neurological deficit? Possibly. But along with it, it's clear that we see in the scripture, it wasn't just a perspective, but it was the spirit that would prompt this. The terrible thing about the devil's work is it, this last pat, part of that passage in verse 39. It's mauling him as it leaves. Destroying the person is always what the devil does. The devil's work is to maul you. And that's always his goal, to diminish you. If you don't recognize that there are behind-the-scenes powers at work deceiving, dividing, and destroying the people you love, you will be angry and overwhelmed, and you will lack the charity you need. You will be defeated before you ever even start to engage. That's why Paul said to those Ephesian Christians, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, he wasn't talking about physical armor. We get very, people get lost in the weeds. There's a little bit of a, a kind of a, um, a device Paul is using. He's strapped to a Roman centurion. He's saying, don't use their not armor. I'm going to talk to you about an armor that's totally different. Put on the full armor of God. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Not what these guys have got going, he's saying. And, but against the rulers and against the powers and against the world forces of darkness and against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. He's not talking about demons under every doily. He's saying these are earthly leaders that have been brought under the dark powers, have been brought under the power and the influence and the thinking of the enemy. The rationalizations have given in to the temptations of the devil for greed and power and popularity. It is easy to forget, for all of us, for you and I, that the people around us are not the real enemy. Even the people that you, you think about as your enemies are really not your real enemy. They are really the victim, the victims of your enemy, the devil. And Jesus always kept that in perspective, and so did those early Christians, and so do you and I when we are at our best. You can forget that people are under the influence or control of the devil, and so then you will fall into using the devil's tactics, like anger and resentment and bitterness and all the frustrations that you call, everything, all the euphemisms you use. But remember, be angry yet do not sin. Let not the sun go down on your anger, neither give the devil an opportunity. That's not God's way of dealing with things. You know, the... the Righteousness of God is not going to be brought about by your anger. 
And that's why Paul says it like this when he's writing to that young man. He's trying to train the Lord's bondservant. This is in second in Second Timothy 2.24. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome. <laughs> that's a verse for the ages, isn't it? But be kind to all. That means even the people that you disagree with. Able to teach. This is a hard one. Patient when wronged. With gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. People that are pushing you back. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses. Listen. Escape and escape from the snare of the devil having been held captive by him to do his will. Boy, a lot of people around us, religious people even, end up being snared, having been held captive to do his will. Even well-intended people can become tools of the devil. Look at Peter. I mean, here's Peter, sold out for Jesus. And Jesus, he has that moment where Jesus has to say, get behind me, Satan, because you care more about the things of men than the things of God. And that's because we are all vulnerable. You and I are vulnerable to compromise. It's easy to become compromised without even realizing it. If we thought we were compromised, we wouldn't be doing it. And when you are compromised, it will show up quickly. Listen to what his, this father said to Jesus in Luke 9.40. I begged your disciples to cast it out and they could not. You know what happens when you're compromised? You can't meet the need that is at hand either for the people close to you or around you. Luke 9.41, Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I be with you and put up and bring your son here? Now, it doesn't stay explicitly who he's talking to, but the implication seems to be he's talking about his disciples. Now, what was wrong with them? Well, it's the same thing that's wrong with you and I a lot. They were powerless because they were prayerless. That's really the truth. Mark tells us this in his, his account of this in Mark 9, 28. Afterward, the disciples came to Jesus to the house and, and the disciples began questioning him privately saying, why could we not drive it out? They'd done lots of um, miracles. And he said to them, this kind, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. Isn't that amazing? In other words, Jesus is saying, if you'd been praying, you would have been in the place where you could have helped, but you were compromised. Jesus says this kind, which is interesting, the word kind, genus, or type, a whole realm, this is, there's always going to be a kind for you and me. There's always going to be a situation or a person or a circumstance that is is beyond your experience. It's a type. It's beyond your strength and all your all of your past experience and all of your training and all of that, all of your your last 20 years of doing whatever you've done. You're going to run into a situation that is a different kind and it's only by prayer that you're going to be able to deal with it. So if your prayer, if you're compromised, then you aren't going to be able to deal with it. And that's the problem. Jesus says, had you been praying, you would have not been compromised. You would have been able to deal with it, but you were compromised. So you must pray. 
but they did not pray. And Jesus knew why they were not praying. Jesus knew why they were not praying for the same reasons that he knows why we don't pray. They were prayerless because they were fighting. They were fussing with each other. They were competing with each other and they were complaining about each other. And you know what they were really fighting about? Who is the greatest? They were compromised by their need to get the last word in for recognition, whatever. In Luke 9, 46, he says an argument. This is at the end of this. An argument started among them as to which of them might be the greatest. Even after the Mount of Transfiguration and all the rest of it, they're still fighting about this before and after. You know, the greatest threat to the church, it's not the liberals or the or whatever your label you want, the, the right wing, the left wing, the the, um, you know, one group or the other. The greatest threat to the church is division. People's opinions and agendas, their desire to dominate, to be right, to be great. My way is right. My opinion is right. Nine out of ten people agree with me, so I must be right. We're greater. And while they were compromised, the suffering in this man's family and the people around us and the people around them in those days just continued because they didn't do their job. They couldn't. They could not help. They were powerless. Verse 42, it says, And while they were still approaching, the demons slammed him to the ground and threw him into a convulsion. And Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. Isn't that beautiful? Here's the conclusion. Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. That's what it's really all about. No matter how failed you might be or I might be, how we miss it, how compromised we might be, the great thing is in this passage, Jesus will still work. No matter how many times a church or the church misses and is compromised, Jesus will not leave himself without a witness. He'll still work. If you return to prayer, he will bring healing through you again. He will not fail you, nor the people around you. He will restore you and, and heal through you. He will restore you and heal you and use you in his way and in his time. I'm so grateful. I really want you to think about this. Don't see people as your enemy. See them as people that have been deceived by the enemy. Maybe be open and humble enough to see that sometimes that could happen to you too. So you have to listen. You know, this message begs a couple of uh, obvious responses. And you can respond to this message by online by going down at the, underneath this, this video and clicking the, the link that will lead you to a place where you can respond with a prayer request. Or you might say, I'm turning to Christ alone to deliver me. He can. We have to be delivered before we can do any delivering, right? And pray for me. I am in a spiritual conflict. You may have suddenly realized today that the problems in your family or the problems in your life or the problems in your neighborhood or the problems in your country is a spiritual conflict. And then lastly, maybe most important of all, pray for me to turn from compromise to Christ. Compromise to Christ. 
And then one other thing, I'm going to throw this one in. Maybe you could do this. Say, I commit to pray for whatever the need is in front of me, starting right now. Thank you for watching this. Please share it if you thought it was helpful. And remember to pray for us as we're up in the mountains doing camps. If you're, having, if you're a, a guy who wants to be a part of our man camp ministry, that's coming up the 8th. Uh, I'd love, you can get the information at our website or you can get the information. Um, you can pick it up at, in the foyer at the church. There's information about that. Love to be able to spend some time with you. God bless you. Thanks for watching.